More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. It's Kelly with you on Survivor Sanctuary. I want to welcome you to episode 42 from, well, I will call it the Survivor Sanctuary Studios here in Miami. Um, I hope you've been having a great day, great week, whatever is going on in your life. I hope that you're finding some time to kind of, I don't know, take a break from the chaos and the craziness of life. Somebody reminded me of that just a few days ago. Someone said to me, well, I hope you have people in your life who are reminding you to take care of yourself because self-care is so important. And I was like, yeah, I don't really have any of those people. (laughs) So most of the people in my life are asking me for things. No, in all seriousness, I do know when I need to rest and I have been practicing some self-care. I'll tell you right now that since we're still in the midst of a pandemic, however you feel about the pandemic, um, it's still not super possible to get out and about and do a whole lot of stuff, at least where I am in Miami-Dade County, where, well, we're kind of the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak at this point. So uh, because I help care for my dad, I have to be super careful about where I go and who I interact with. So basically, it's me staying at home. And what I do to take care of myself, I guess you could say is float around in the pool. Um, It's I know it's like cliche, like who doesn't like to relax by being in a pool. But honestly, I never really thought of pool time as something that I loved until a little bit more recently in my life. I just I get on a raft, it's shaped like a peacock. And I float around in the pool. It is just this massive raft. Um, Amazon started selling out of a lot of stuff because they started different rules for sellers when the pandemic hit. And so a lot of things weren't making it to the Amazon warehouse. So, so many things sold out. So I was trying to find a float that I could just kind of float around in the pool on one where, you know, it can keep you out of the water if you don't want to be in the water. And one of the very few floats that I could find that seemed like it might work is just this massive peacock float. And it's really obnoxious, but not going to lie. That is my self-care at this point. When things get to be too much, I get on that peacock float and I lay in the sun and I just get to be by myself in a pool alone with my own thoughts. So that is my version of self-care right now. Whatever your version is, I think it's a great time for a reminder that it's important. And people talk about it all the time. Like I can barely ever go on Twitter or Facebook or or talk to a human or anything without the subject of self-care being brought up. I think because we're so much more aware of how necessary it is than we were like 20 years ago. Maybe people just called it something different back then, but I literally never started hearing this until like the last five years of my life. But talking about it is one thing and practicing it is something completely different. And I think if you're not careful, sometimes you can avoid it. And so I just thought it would be a good reminder uh, that if you haven't taken some time for yourself today to go ahead and do that, however it is that you like to relax, um, I also like bubble baths. I I guess my relaxation always involves some form of water. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I hope you're taking some time to take care of you. 
it's a very important part of the recovery process when you're going through uh, healing from sexual abuse. And honestly, even if you're not taking care of yourself, always a good idea. You know, it's the airplane analogy that everybody uses. And that is put your own mask on first before you put the mask on somebody else, you know, in event of an emergency, when the oxygen masks drop and people drop that cliche all the time. And I, I always thought, yeah, yeah, we get it. But honestly, uh, before the pandemic, I really didn't realize how important that was. But I have a nurse who comes uh, twice a day and she takes my dad's blood pressure and blood sugar and does some other stuff for him. And the agency requires us to wear masks in addition to her when she's in the house. And so I will like rush and like hear the front door opening and I'll go get his mask and I'll put it on him. And then I realize, crap, she's in the house and my mask's not on. And honestly, it is so much easier if I put my own mask on first and then help him. But I think it's just human nature that we kind of help others first and we get all our stuff done for everybody else first. And sometimes we forget about ourselves. So that's not what the topic of this podcast is. It's kind of like a free mini episode of Survivor Sanctuary just because I had that conversation and I realized like how important it was. If nobody else is going to tell you that you need to take care of yourself, you got to be the one reminding you to do it. Um, and maybe just listening to this podcast for 40 minutes or so uh, once a week is your way of unwinding and having a little bit of self-care, just some time for yourself. Whatever it is, though, I hope you're doing it. And I'm glad that you're with me on this episode. I'm excited to talk about something I think that a lot of us as survivors experience. We share experiences. It's just the, just the reality of surviving sexual abuse. We all have our own thoughts and feelings, and everybody's experiences are a little bit different, but we do share so much. And I think one of them is knowing when you have done enough when it comes to speaking out about abuse and more specifically, I think, when it comes to speaking out about your abuser. Many of us get to the point in our journeys where we come forward and we go public with what our abuser has done to us. And I had a conversation this week with a wonderful person who is a listener uh, to Survivor Sanctuary, and I actually hope to have her on the podcast sometime soon. But our discussion just got me to thinking that it would be a great thing to talk about here on the Survivor Sanctuary podcast, because so many of the survivors that I speak to and whose stories I read, it seems to be a part of all of us. It is that feeling that we have a sense of responsibility after we've come forward with our abuse. We have this feeling of responsibility to protect other people from abuse. And I wanted to talk about that today because I think that there is often this sense that you're not doing enough or maybe wondering if you have done enough. And it's kind of a tricky problem for survivors to deal with because there are so many facets to our experience as survivors and, and victims of abuse and feeling that sense of responsibility like, I want to do something to ensure that the person who abused me doesn't do this to other people. Now, I always have a little bit of a caveat when I'm talking about topics that a lot of survivors can relate to. There are some survivors of sexual abuse who may not be able to relate to that feeling of, have I done enough? 
it could be that the person who abused you is not living anymore. That happens in a lot of cases. You know, it could be that there are really no options for you to do anything. It could be that you have been wounded to the point where you cannot even think about worrying about anybody else because it takes all of your effort and all of your energy just to survive from day to day. So I want to say just right off the bat that there's no right way to feel a sense of responsibility for outing your abuser, stopping your abuser, making sure your abuser doesn't abuse anyone else. That's not anything that should feel like it is a responsibility that's on your shoulders. So I wanted to get that out of the way in the beginning. And you might be thinking, well, why are you dedicating a whole episode to something that you say I'm under no obligation to feel? And here's the reason why. Because so many survivors feel that sense of maybe responsibility isn't the right word, but just that sense of not wanting anybody else to suffer what they've suffered. And so whether or not we're supposed to feel that, it just ends up a lot of times with survivors of sexual abuse that we do feel that way. And I'll give you an example from my own story. And that is, I was never going to come forward about my abuse when it was all about me. I, you know, had believed for years that I was the problem, that I had somehow caused it, that it was just me. It like never crossed my mind. Seriously. I don't say that flippantly. It literally did not cross my mind that my abuser may have been harming somebody else that he had abused or molested other girls. It was not something that entered into my mind until I started reading about sexual abuse and reading about abusers, and it dawned on me that I had been groomed by my abuser. What it seemed like was this just random incident that just happened. You know, it just happened multiple times. It just happened that, you know, this person could get me alone and know when my parents weren't going to be home and, you know, all these things that had to fall into place. But in my mind, I guess because I experienced it as a young child, in my mind, it was just very random. So when I started really connecting the dots and putting two and two together, I realized I had been groomed for abuse, that he was good at what he did. And I realized just based on everything I knew about abusers that I had learned from all the research I was doing, there's no way that he hadn't abused anyone else. Like he definitely had victims before me and I was positive he had victims after. So when that revelation happened, after I had started therapy and I had really started digging into my own story and digging into my own healing, that was just a feeling I had. Like this sudden dawning on me that there were other victims and that little girls probably weren't safe around the man who had abused me all those years ago. When it was just my own healing that I had to deal with, the way I viewed it was, well, there's nothing he can do now to change what happened, and it would be embarrassing to have to talk to him or confront him. It was something I wanted nothing to do with. I just didn't. I thought, I can forgive him, and I can move on, and I can have my healing without ever needing to confront him or anybody else hearing about what he did. You know, I don't have to go through having other people have to choose who they believe or I don't have to feel embarrassed to tell my story. You know, to me, it was just like, this can be like a private thing. I never have to out my abuser. But the second I realized that he had abused before me and he had definitely abused after me, 
all I could think was I have to do something like I have to stop him. And whether it was my responsibility or not, which I firmly believe it was not, you know, his choices are his and I can't take on the burden of everyone he may have abused in all the years that it took me to come forward. That's not ours to carry. But I couldn't shake the feeling of knowing that if I didn't say something, nobody was going to know that they shouldn't let their kids be alone with him. Nobody was going to know that he probably shouldn't be leading kids groups in church. And it just all of a sudden dawned on me that this person was an abuser who would keep abusing as long as he was never caught. And so for me, that was a feeling that was just very, very strong. So while I want to reiterate that it is definitely not my responsibility or anybody else's responsibility to make sure their abuser is brought to justice or to make sure their abuser never abuses anybody else, like you can literally drive yourself crazy trying to worry about stopping your abuser if you don't have that understanding that this is not your responsibility. It's not something you have to carry on your shoulders. And I think that as survivors, we're so used to blaming ourselves. We blame ourselves for the abuse. So it would stand to reason that we may struggle with blaming ourselves for what happens to other people if we haven't said enough or done enough or if we didn't come forward soon enough. Those are the things that I want to encourage you to stop yourself if you ever start thinking them. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but Your abuser is the problem. You are not the problem. And if your abuser continues to abuse, not your responsibility, it's not your problem either. But having said that, I know from talking to so many survivors that it is something that we feel very deeply in so many cases that we want to do everything we possibly can to stop a person who we know is a danger to other kids. So I think it's kind of a fine line that you have to walk. And if you have a therapist or you know somebody you talk to on a regular basis who might be able to kind of walk with you as you sort through those feelings of what can I do and how much is enough, like that would be awesome. If there's somebody you know that you can reach out to for advice, I would even say in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, if you ever feel like you're not sure where that line is, like am I taking on responsibility that's not mine? If you ever want to just talk about that, you can even do it in the group, but I just want to make it absolutely clear. It's not an obligation, but I understand that it's a very strong feeling. It's a feeling I have to this day. It's been years, I mean, not like decades or anything, but it's been years now since I came forward about the man who abused me. And honestly, I still don't have a sense of closure to the point where I feel like enough has been done to stop him. Is it my responsibility to stop him? Absolutely not. Am I responsible for what he chooses to do because I maybe haven't done enough? Absolutely not. There's no such thing as you not doing enough to stop your abuser because your abuser is the only one who can abuse children. It's their decision and you hold none of the responsibility. But I know that as we heal and as we move through a lot of what we deal with as survivors of abuse, these feelings are going to come up. Like, what can I do? And sometimes, even when you feel like you've hit 53 million dead ends, that feeling is still there in the back of your mind, like, I need to stop this person who abused me. And in this conversation, Uh, that I had recently with one of our Survivor Sanctuary members, we were kind of unpacking, like, have I done enough to report my abuser? Has enough been done, you know, so that I can rest? When is enough enough? 
And I want to say something that I said in this conversation that I think that every survivor of sexual abuse needs to hear. And that is, it's not going to sound very encouraging, by the way. (laughs) And I feel bad. You know, I want to have like super encouraging, you know, everything. You're victorious and on the mountaintops and everything's awesome. Uh, Because we need that as survivors. You know, sometimes you go through the crap and the garbage enough that you just want some encouragement. And so this may not sound encouraging at the very beginning, but bear with me. When it comes to doing enough to stop your abuser, when it comes to doing enough to prevent the abuse of other people, whether it's by your abuser or or other abusers, I think that we have to make peace with the fact that it is never going to feel like enough. Not necessarily because we need to constantly keep working, you know, to stop abuse. Not necessarily because it's our job to make sure our abusers are brought to justice and that they never hurt anybody else ever again. I think the reason that it's never going to feel like enough and we're never going to be completely satisfied with the result is that sexual abuse is something that never should have happened to us. Sexual abuse does not belong in anybody's life. It doesn't belong in the life experience of a four, five, six, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old. It doesn't belong in anyone's experience at all. You know, and when you're when you're sexually abused or sexually assaulted, you can work and you can fight on, on your own healing and your own recovery and even on bringing your abuser to justice. But I think that one of the reasons it's never going to completely feel like it's enough is because it's never going to erase the thing that happened to you that never should have happened. So it's a tension that we walk as survivors of sexual abuse, understanding that this is really something, a trauma that nobody should have to go through, that nobody should have to experience. And no matter the outcome of bringing your abuser to justice, no matter the outcome of your story and and your fight against sexual abuse, no matter the outcome, it is never going to change what happened to you. It can reframe it in the sense that maybe you don't have to think of it with as much pain and suffering, you know, as you move through the healing process, that part gets better, but it never completely takes it away. If that makes sense. We're struggling with something that is a wrong that never should have been. So no amount of work and bringing our abuser to justice is ever going to make us feel 100% satisfied. Because the one thing that our abuser can't do is go back in time and, and undo the abuse. So I will say that if you struggle with that feeling like I've done so much to try and bring my abuser to justice, I've done so much to try and prevent this person man or woman from hurting another person. I've, I've done this and I've done that. And there's this constant sense that I need to do something else, like that feeling that's never satisfied. And I do want us to recognize as survivors, and I'm preaching to the choir here because sometimes, sometimes that feeling is very strong for me. And I have to remind myself the reason it's strong is because it can't ever be completely fixed. The wound can be healed, but it's not ever going to completely go away. The scar will be there and it's a scar that doesn't belong there because no child, no human being should ever be sexually abused. So that's one thing I would say when you're trying to determine if you've done enough to bring your abuser to justice or if you've done enough to prevent other people from being abused, that's something you want to bear in mind that it may never feel like a hundred percent enough because none of it is going to change the reality that you went through this abuse in the first place. So while we fight for justice and while we pursue avenues to keep other people safe, I just think that that's something that we need to bear in mind. 
because it is easy to fall into this rabbit hole. And I've actually had, you know, therapists before discourage me. So I'm just reminding you right now, I'm not a therapist, not degreed in anything like therapy wise. So I'm telling you this so that if you have the option to talk to somebody who's a professional, if you think, you know, maybe I'm obsessing or maybe I'm caring too much about bringing my abuser to justice, maybe I'm focusing too much on the fact that I need to do something more. You know, if you feel like you're in that place and you need to talk to somebody, I would definitely encourage you to do that. I'm not a therapist and I've had my therapist, as I just started to say, I've had a therapist in the past not understand my need to bring my abuser to justice and not even necessarily justice like, oh, he needs to go to prison for what he did to me, but just the fact that it drove me nuts that I came forward that he was outed as a child predator and that he had multiple child victims all from within churches and yet he was still allowed to lead in church and to be around children in church and to lead puppet shows like it drove me absolutely nuts and I think her thought process was that there was something missing in my healing and so I was making it about other people and honestly she could have been right but I don't believe to this day that what I was feeling was necessarily some unhealthy desire to stop my abuser from hurting other people. I don't feel like I was focusing on other victims to keep from having to focus on myself. But if that's a question for you, it's always a good idea to take a step back and make sure that first and foremost, you're taking care of yourself and that you're not taking on the responsibility of stopping this predator and and saving every child he or she could potentially come in contact with. So yes, while sometimes, you know, we can feel for reasons of our own healing or lack of healing or whatever, that it's never enough, you know, we're never satisfied with the outcome. And part of that is because, as I mentioned, it's something that never should have happened. You know, it, nothing that we do from this point moving forward is going to erase what was done. And while we can heal and things can get better, it doesn't undo what happened to us. So some of those feelings of I haven't done enough might be something nagging at us for the majority of our journey to heal from sexual abuse. But I truly believe that there is something in us as survivors that having made it through what we've gone through and beginning the healing process, facing our past, facing the demons that haunt us all, the things that were really difficult to look at and to really face and deal with in our own lives, when we start doing that, there is something just fierce that rises up inside us like a mama bear, a papa bear, whatever you want to call it, it is a drive to protect other people. And I honestly believe that that is a holy drive, that it's a righteous drive. Yes, you can say that people are, you know, struggling to let go of their past or not wanting to focus on their healing. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you could say drives survivors to want to stop abuse. But I truly believe it's because we've experienced it. We know what it does to people and we want to keep it from happening. I look back at six-year-old me and I want to be able to go back in time and like tell her, hey, like what happened to you isn't your fault. You didn't deserve this. You know, this is not something that you need to carry on your shoulders for the next 30 years before you decide to tell people about it. But I can't go back and do that. What I can do though is make sure that if I have the power within me anywhere to keep sexual abuse from happening to another child, it's something I'm driven to fight for. And while some people may not understand it, even some therapists, like I told you in in my past, like I would drive her nuts. She'd be like, I don't understand why this is so important to you that you have to keep, (laughs) like, I don't know how to explain to you 
to make you understand that I don't want little kids to be abused by the man who abused me. Like, it bothers me that someone who is a known predator of children is still working with children and that Christians around him are enabling him. And if you have found yourself in that situation, and I've spoken to so many survivors who who just have, we all kind of have those same thoughts and feelings. If you find yourself in that place, while the reminders I've given you, it may never feel like enough and it's not your responsibility to stop your abuser. While those things are 100% true, I also think it's 100% true that our drive for justice and our drive to protect the innocent is something God-given. You know, as survivors, we'll hear a lot that we can't let go of things. You know, why can't you just let go of this? Even my therapist, like, why is this so important? Why do you need to keep fighting? Why do you need, you know, why can't you just focus on you and your healing? And I think that it's, for me, the one non-negative about being a survivor of sexual abuse. I don't want to call it a positive because I refuse to put positivity on having, you know, a six-year-old kid be sexually abused by someone or any aged kid be sexually abused by someone. Um, I don't want to say, oh, one positive that comes out of it, but I'll say one not so negative that comes out of it. And the only, the literal only one that I can come up with is that if I had never experienced sexual abuse, maybe I wouldn't have the compassion that I have for victims of sexual abuse. Maybe I would be a complete butt face, you know, when people would tell me about their pain. If I had never experienced abuse, I don't know that if somebody told me about having been sexually abused, if I would be the one telling them they just needed to forgive and move on and and not be bitter and hold on to the past, I might be just passing out terrible advice all over the place and having no empathy for others. And while I can't call it the one good thing that came out of abuse, I'll say that that's the one not negative thing that comes from abuse, at least I believe in my case, and that is the understanding of what sexual abuse does to other people and the drive to want to stop it. Everything else sucks. (laughs) You know, everything else is terrible. But if there's something that I could say I am grateful for, not grateful for having been abused, but I'm grateful that I have that understanding of what it is that survivors of sexual abuse go through. And I feel like that a lot of times is what drives us. And I wanted to bring that up because I think that we second guess ourselves a lot as survivors. We we second guess our motives and our reasoning for things in a lot of cases because it's hard for us to trust our instincts when we've kind of been fooled as kids. You know, you kind of get duped into being abused and taken advantage of. And so sometimes we struggle to rely on our own instinct. So I just wanted to encourage you by saying that, that I believe Our drive to stop abusers, and specifically the people that have abused us, is a positive. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Like if you're taking care of yourself and if you're you're healing and you're honestly taking responsibility for your own healing while not taking responsibility for the actions and behaviors of your abuser, then your desire for justice and your efforts to keep other people from being abused are righteous. Those are things that don't let people tell you that your motives are bad. We get that a lot as survivors. You know, oh, you're bitter, you're unforgiving, you you want revenge, yada, yada, yada. Like it goes on and on and on. But we know the truth. And as long as you're willing to look at what you're doing objectively and even talk to somebody if you need to, to make sure that you're not trying to take on something on your shoulders that's too heavy a burden for you to carry. Like as long as you're open and willing to watch it, I think that the desire to bring your abuser to justice 
your desire to stop them is one of our superpowers as survivors of sexual abuse. We know what it does. We know how it hurts people. We know how it screws up lives. And we know that we need to stop it. This episode of the podcast is not about how you can turn in your abuser. And well, one of the reasons it's not is because we all have so many different experiences. You know, some of us, our abuser's not even living anymore. For some of us, our abuser's 14,000 miles away on another continent. For some of us, you know, we all just have a little bit of a different experience. It may not be possible for all of us to report our abuser in the same way because every scenario is a little bit different. But there are some things that we all have in common when it comes to coming forward about sexual abuse, confronting our abusers, trying to stop them from abusing others. Um, We all are going to have someone that we disclose to. And I will say that in addition to having someone that you disclose to, all of us have this in common, and that is that we are going to be discouraged at some point. In my chat with one of our lovely members at Survivor Sanctuary, the Facebook group, and just a great time for a plug, you can join us there. Search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook, ask to join, answer the very simple question, and I will add you to the group. Well, this particular member was chatting about an experience that she had of trying to go to a detective to turn in her abuser and being discouraged by the response that she got. If you listen to stories from just many, many survivors, you're probably going to hear a very common theme. And that is when you decide to come forward, there is probably going to be a lot of discouragement to deal with. You might feel like you've hit a dead end. Um, I remember when I came forward and I was telling the pastor of this church, hey, you've got a pedophile as your head deacon at the church, just letting you know, I don't think girls are safe. And this guy, if he had been my only hope for getting somebody to do something, I would have been out of luck because he was not helpful at all. It took months, months went by, and he could not even be bothered to confront this man with the information that I had sent. If I had let that discourage me, and and some people might have said, well, you've done everything you can, you know, wash your hands of it, but there was a drive in me knowing something had to be done, and if he wasn't gonna do something, I was going to find somebody who would, and that's what I did. When I had hit this dead end with him, I knew that he wasn't going to help me. I knew that every month that went by was another month that this man could be abusing small children. I contacted the mission board, and what's interesting is I had different experiences with different members of this mission board. Some of those experiences really discouraged me. It was tough to want to keep sending those emails and keep making those phone calls because I was so discouraged and annoyed by the way that I was treated by so many people. But all it takes is one person. And I want to really encourage you with that on this podcast. If you take nothing else away from this entire podcast, take this away. It only takes one person who hears your story, who believes you, and who understands that your abuser needs to be stopped so that he or she does not abuse anybody else. It only takes one right person to believe you. And maybe when you first come forward, You go to a person who doesn't believe you, or maybe they believe you, but they kind of treat you with disrespect, or maybe they kind of brush it off like, ah, this happened a long time ago, you should really just let it go, or ah, we can't really prove anything, so sorry, you know, next. 
you're going to get people like that. And it's okay to feel like crap. You know, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to cry about it. It's okay to be miserable that people don't understand you. Like all of that is normal and feel those feelings when they come up. Don't fight them. Like feel it. Feel how much it sucks. But know this. It only takes one right person to hear your story and do something about it. When I talked to different people at the mission board, and there was actually one guy and his name was Alan, I believe, like I'm, I'm thinking back a long time, haven't looked at those emails in a long time, but he just flat out was like, oh yeah, this guy, I mean, he didn't say this guy sucks, but he might as well have said this guy sucks. Oh yeah, he's definitely a danger. He definitely needs to do something. And this was a fundamental Baptist, like super conservative, super legalistic. You know, I did not expect anything from these people, but this guy that I talked to had a great friend who was a therapist and who actually worked with victims of childhood sexual abuse. And he actually studied abusers and their thought processes and how they work and what really needs to happen to bring them to repentance or to get them to stop abusing. Like anybody else could have taken my phone call. And this was the guy who took my phone call. And I truly 100% believe that it was because he's the person I talked to that the mission board ended up contacting this pastor and being like, dude, you have to do something. You can't just let this go. You, you know, you have to confront him. This is what needs to be done. Do I love everything the mission board did? No. I think that a lot of crappy things happened and it wasn't perfect, but the fact that it came out that he had abused me, I believe was because I talked to that one right person who heard my story and who got it. So if you come in contact with people who are very unsympathetic to your story, who are maybe dismissive of you, who think you just need to let it go, who maybe you go and, and report to the police and they're like, eh, not a whole lot we can do. This happened a long time ago. I'm not saying drive yourself crazy if you've hit 500 million dead ends and there's literally nothing else you can do. Just keep clawing and fighting and don't drive yourself crazy and let's not make it be something unhealthy. But you're going to have that discouragement and you're going to run into people who just don't get it. And I just want to encourage you that there are so many people out there who don't get it. But there are people out there who do get it. So when that discouragement comes, when you disclose to somebody or try to get help from somebody who's dismissive and who acts like it's not a big deal and that it doesn't matter, there may be a dozen of those people, but there are people out there who understand the importance of what you're trying to do, who understand the importance of stopping an abuser. I've talked about Athlete A, I think on the last two episodes of Survivor Sanctuary. Let's just make it three in a row. But the documentary Athlete A, the story of USA Gymnastics and Larry Nasser, when they compared and contrasted the two different uh, police interviews of Larry Nasser. The one resulted in absolutely nothing happening to him and him being able to go on and abuse girls for years. And the other one resulted in the investigation that brought him down. And the laws in the state did not change. Like, can I just say the laws in Michigan about sexual abuse and sexual assault and all that, like the books weren't rewritten between one interview and the next. It was that you had two different detectives with two very different understandings of sexual abuse. So you're going to run into people who seem like professionals to you, maybe when trying to disclose, trying to stop your abuser, 
whether you're trying to bring charges criminally or civilly, whatever the case may be, maybe you're just trying to get a church to stop letting the guy or, or the woman teach Sunday school. But whatever the case is, you're going to run into people who seem like they know. And some of them are not going to know. And it is going to feel discouraging, but I want to encourage you that that's not the end. It only takes one right person. You can talk to a bunch of the wrong people and maybe they're not helpful and maybe you feel like, well, I've I've exhausted every possibility, but that feeling inside you is so strong that something else needs to be done. But it only takes that one right person that you disclose to that can make the whole thing a game changer. I've been really encouraged uh, with some other survivors' stories and uh, even in cases that I've dealt with where I've reported someone who I definitely believed was abusing with very little evidence. You know, sometimes I'll hear stories and think, okay, this is not right. You know, church after church after church has been warned that this person is a child sexual predator and they're still supporting this person. They're still sending this person overseas to work with children. They're still like... You write letters and you do email campaigns and you try to let everybody know this person is definitely abusing children and you would think that you're writing to people who are going to care, but maybe you'll have church after church after church ignore you or say they don't believe you or say that you're troubled and you're making it up. There are so many people like that that we run into. And unfortunately, I'm just going to be honest and, and say that in my experience, the vast majority of the people that I've run into that are like that are people within the church. It's sad. It makes me upset because I wish that I could say that it weren't the case, but it just is. You can report an abuser and they can say, well, he's repented, so it's totes okay if we give him money to go to a foreign land and work with children because we're sure that he's super sorry for what he did. So it's definitely okay that we're supporting him as he starts an orphanage in Nigeria. But then you could shoot an email to somebody who works for a government organization and you're thinking to yourself, these people are not going to listen to anything I have to say because I don't have any solid proof of anything. And, you know, three days later, you could get a call from a detective who's like, bro, this guy is definitely abusing children and we're opening an investigation and thanks for letting us know. And I'm putting all of my resources into this because it's really important that we stop this guy. It only takes one right person for you to disclose to that could change the game when it comes to stopping your abuser. But how do we know that enough is enough? And that was really what drove this episode of Survivor Sanctuary because it's a question that I've been asked by other survivors and it's a question that I've grappled with myself But I will say that one of the main reasons I've struggled with this question is because other people have had this sense that I should be done caring about it now. You know, it shouldn't drive me crazy anymore when I see pictures of my abuser on Facebook surrounded by little kiddos in church. You know, I should just be over with it. I've confronted him and he's had to stand before the church and repent And I put repent in air quotes every time I say it because I don't believe the repentance was actual repentance. I think it was, oopsie, I got caught, got to do this to save face. For me personally, I feel like it will be enough when he's not able to harm another child. That to me is the only scenario where I'm going to feel like enough has been done. And again, it's a fine line that we walk. It's a tension that we hold between I want to do something and this is not my responsibility. 
So don't drive yourself crazy. Don't take the responsibility of every child that your abuser abuses on your own shoulders because that is not where the responsibility lies. When you become discouraged, and you will, it's okay to take breaks 24-7, 365. You cannot be fired up and mad concerned about what your abuser is doing or who they might be harming. Like Nobody can live like that. It's important that you take care of yourself first, that you don't take that responsibility on your shoulders. But I will say that if you feel like there's something more that you could do, Sometimes I think that those are instincts that we need to follow. There are some people who send emails to churches. There are some people who send letters. Maybe some people go online and fill out those online tip sheets that get sent to various government and police organizations. Like there are so many ways to report abuse and to try and prevent abuse. And there could be months that go by or years that go by. And and maybe you've thought, well, I mean, I feel like I've done everything. And then another avenue could open. Sometimes you might feel like you've, you've done enough. And I've been at that point in my journey where I felt like I've done every single thing that I can. So this is where I just stop trying to prevent my abuser from abusing anyone else because I've done everything I can do. And honestly, I would be completely justified in saying that there's no shame in that. And I've felt when I have felt that peace, I have stopped. I've taken really long breaks from needing to do anything. And I think that that's perfectly okay. But when those feelings come, and I know they're not feelings that are rooted in shame, And I know they're not feelings that are rooted in me trying to take on the responsibility of everything my abuser does or me trying to avoid my own healing. So I'm going to focus on something else. You know, when your reactions to your abuser and your desire to do something, you know, when it's rooted in the right place. And when those feelings come, when that drive comes, even if you've been taking a long break from the battle, I think that it's okay to say, you know what, I've had this long rest um, I've been in a season where I felt like the work that I've done here is is complete and there's nothing else I can do, but another avenue has just opened up and my gut is telling me to pick up that sword and fight another day. And I truly believe that that is right, that it's righteous, that it's just, that that drive to protect is something God-given. It's something that as survivors is always going to be there to an extent. So to answer the question, when is enough enough? I think that you have the peace inside that tells you when it's enough. But I want to go back to something that I said in the beginning of the podcast. And that is that because we've experienced what we've experienced, I honestly don't think that we're ever going to have that 100 feeling of enough has been done. Because as survivors of sexual abuse, We're dealing with trying to right a wrong that can never completely be righted, if that makes sense. And we just kind of have to live in that tension of I'm healing and I'm victorious and I'm a survivor and I'm a thriver. And also of this is a part of me that never should have been, that's an ugly scar and that can't ever be completely erased from my past. Don't you love it when I ask a question and then I completely don't answer it? But for real, when is enough enough? The answer is, I don't know. And you might not know. Sometimes it'll feel like 
you've having done all, you're just standing. And other times you might feel like there's more that I can do and I'm going to fight another day. And I just want to say, even if you don't have the answer, I don't think it's a finish line you necessarily have to come to. Because you're a survivor of abuse, I think that that drive to protect is just a part of you. It's a part of your DNA and something that you're just partnered up with for life. Kind of make friends with it. Kind of make peace with it. And when your gut tells you there's something that you believe you could do, an avenue you could try that might help protect someone else, as long as it's not at the expense of you and your emotional well-being and your mental health, I say go with it. There are some regrets I have in, in my life for not listening to that gut instinct out of fear, letting other people's voices tell me, okay, you suspect everyone, you know, is a child abuser and and you can't really trust that instinct because you were abused. And so it causes you to see abuse under every rock and around every corner. And I've listened to those voices before guys and abusers have ended up abusing. And I've sat and watched as stories unfolded right in front of my eyes, you know, where I had been suspicious and just that feeling that would not go away that I needed to do something, not doing anything, and then finding out later that my gut instinct was spot on and I never stood up and said anything. I've had experiences like that and I've had experiences where I've thought, oh my gosh, I've tried every avenue, there's nothing else that I can do and boom, a door is open that could save countless kids from being abused. Well, as always, we can finish this conversation on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. I would love for you to join us there. Just search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook. Answer the one question. It's so simple. It's asking you what this podcast is about. And it's about sexual abuse. And so if you write that, I'll know you were listening. You knew the exact thing to say. And I will add you to the group and we can continue this conversation there. I would love to hear about uh, some of your experiences with coming forward, with trying to prevent your abuser or another abuser from harming kids. Um, Your discouragement, your mountaintop moments, ideas for other people who may want to disclose to stop someone but aren't sure what to do. We can continue this conversation in the Facebook group. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.